There you go. Who doesn't love a sermon that starts off with a Disney clip? <laughs> now, I don't know if, you, um, if you've seen The Lion King. Hopefully you have. If you haven't, get onto it. It's a good movie. Uh, very sad scenes, though. But uh, I don't know if you remember the context of that scene. So Simba has returned from exile uh, to the place where he grew up, and he finds it. Comp- everything's changed. Uh, the, the land that was once fruitful and flourishing was now barren. Uh, it's it's uh, overrun by hyenas. Uh, Scar has taken the throne and he's, he's oppressing the lions, the, 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 the rest of the pride. And uh, how is he going to overcome these challenges? How is he going to face this oppression, the, the, this situation that he finds himself in coming back? And he goes and seeks the wisdom of, um, is it a poo? Uh, and, the, and his father uh, through a reflection. And the key to him, uh, engage, to, the key to him um, overcoming his challenges is for him to remember, remember who he is. Remember where he's come from. Remember that he is the promised king. Now set that aside for a moment. Let's think about the year 2020. The word of the year, I think everyone would agree, is unprecedented. Uh, I keep hearing again and again the challenges we faced this year. Uh, you know, fires tearing through Australia, a global pandemic, thousands upon thousands dying globally. Uh, we've seen uh, social isolation and all the um, the, the consequences that, that have come with that. We've seen um, uh, racial and gender injustice. Uh, we've seen uh, eroding confidence in our leaders. Uh, and that's, that's just the world. Now let's think about Christians. For us uh, Christians, I think this year we've seen uh, more than most that Christendom, this idea that uh, Christianity is the foundation of our um, of our culture, our community, Christendom is gone, is no more. The, the, the safety, the, uh, the foundation of Christian values in society, they're no more. No more is the church respected for its influence and contribution to the world. No more uh, do Christians have the foundational influence in government or in places of authority and influence. No more does being a Christian in the West mean living a comfortable life. How are we going to face these challenges? And just like Simba, just like Simba, the, the key is to remember not just who we are, but who Jesus is. We've, we've got to remember that Jesus is king and he is coming back. Jesus is king and he's coming back. And that's the big theme, the big message of 2 Peter 3. So that we've been working through uh, the letter of 2 Peter. There's kind of been three key instructions. The first one was to confirm our calling, right? To, to realize that our calling is not something we live up to, but it's the fact that God has called us into his family, and we live a life that reflects the God that saved us. 
we, the second instruction was to beware, uh, beware false teachers. Uh, beware of the false teaching that, that is uh, all over the place, different voices and, and influences around us. And we do that by grounding ourselves in the truth. And the third instruction coming from 2 Peter chapter 3 is to remember that Jesus is king and he's coming back. And I think, I think this is a, a very pertinent message for us uh, because the church has forgotten that Jesus is returning. I think, I think, you know, even just from my humble observations, you know, I think the church in general has lost the urgency uh, of Jesus, in, Jesus coming back. We've lost the urgency to share the good news about Jesus to, with those around us. I think we've lost our moral standard, uh, moral standing. We compromise. Uh, we, we've been taking, you know, and they, we've used to seen the moral corruption in the church. It's certainly not the church that Jesus will return and, and you know, this is his church, but it's, it's compromised, it's corrupt, it's, it's broken. We've lost concern for justice, uh, seeking uh, for the, fighting for the needs of others. And, and I think we're, we've, you know, the church in general, we've been focusing a lot on our own rights and what, what's best for us as a church. And I think looking Looking at the church today, I wonder, do we even remember that Jesus is coming back? I think us, here, Hills Baptist. Does Hills Baptist Church remember that Jesus is coming back? Is Jesus coming back? Peter says, uh, remember the promises of God. Remember what has been commanded. Remember what has been promised. Remember that Jesus is returning. He is returning to judge. So we're going to read, uh, we're going to read this chapter in sections. We're going to start, open up your Bibles if you've got one. It's going to be on the screen as well. We'll start at 2 Peter 3 and just look at the first seven verses. 2 Peter 3, 1 to 7. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I'll read it from the screen. This is now my second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commands, the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, the following, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? <laughs> For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of time, of creation. (laughs) For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Well, we heard there at the start of that paragraph, uh, Peter's writing, this is the second letter he's writing uh, to, to um, well, what the NRV says is to stimulate to wholesome thinking, to sincere thinking. What Paul, uh, Peter, what Peter wants to do is he wants to correct They're thinking. There's something wrong or deficient in how 
in how they're thinking about, uh, about Jesus, about the end times, and Peter wants to correct that. They've forgotten the words of the prophets and the apostles. Now, this is a reference back to 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, where, where Peter um, shares uh, the command to confirm our calling and, and then verifies that by the authority of the apostles who've been witnesses to, to uh, Jesus' glory and by the prophets who have spoken from, from of old, have spoken the very words of God, predicting and promising uh, Jesus, uh, his first coming and his next. And so uh, he says uh, in verse 10, 2 Peter 1 verse 10, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the command, what, what Peter is, is urging uh, these, these scattered Christians to do is to confirm their calling, to confirm and, and, and uh, center themselves on the fact that they are called into God's family. Why? Because Jesus is coming back and he has a place for us in his eternal kingdom. Peter's asking the Christians to remember, to remember their calling, to remember what they're called to, who they're called to, to remember who we belong to, and to remember that Jesus is coming back and he's got a place for us in his uh, eternal kingdom. Peter wants us to remember that Jesus is king and he's coming back to make everything right again. He wants us to remember that because we're so prone to forgetting it. And one reason we're prone to forgetting it is because of those pesky scoffers. Those scoffers who come and what are they doing? They scoff. They come scoffing. In the last days, scoffers will come scoffing. They deny that Jesus is going to return. And so, you know, have a read verse 4. They say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it's sin since the beginning of creation. Effectively, they're saying nothing's changed. Jesus, you know, Jesus died, he rose again, he ascended to heaven, and then, you know, that was our, our fathers saw that, and our parents' generation saw that, but, and then they've passed away, and, you know, here we still are. What's, what's going on? Nothing's happened. Nothing's changed. Is he really coming back? I think that's a fair question, and I think even more so today. 2,000 years later, where has Jesus been? He's promised to come back. Uh, it's been 2,000 years. What's he been doing all this time? Nothing's changed. Well, they deny that Jesus is coming back for, for two main reasons, or at least two reasons that Peter addresses. And so we're going to look at those. The first one is they deliberately overlook the Word of God. They deliberately forget the Word of God. Peter says that God created the world with a word. God said, let there be light, and there was light. He created the world uh, with a word. And by his word, God split the waters. He created land, and then he filled the land and the sea and the air with birds, animals, people. And Peter also talked about a time when uh, God used the water to judge the world. And uh, he's referring to the flood. Uh, in, in Genesis uh, 6 to 9. And the readers that would have, the original readers who would have received the re- letter would, would know what Peter was talking about. 
because they were most likely Jews and they, they knew the Jewish history and they, they knew the power of God's word that he, he created the world with his word. They knew that, that he judged the world and they knew that what his word uh, set out to do, it would do. It was certain. It was powerful. And they understood God's word, word was certain in the past, but they deliberately forget the power and certainty of God's word when it comes to the future. And God's word tells us that the heavens and earth are stored up for fire, for judgment, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The original readers denied the word, even though their own history and and stories confirmed it. And I think our culture is tied up in that as well. Our culture, the, the society, the time we live in now, very quickly deny and dismiss God's word, even though it's the most historically verified document we have. You, you know, um, perhaps you've heard about uh, the New Testament manuscripts and all the co- uh, corroboration that brings, but uh, earlier um, uh, in July last year, I got the opportunity to go to London. I went to the British Museum, and I had a tour of the museum uh, by this Christian professor of history who uh, showed us all of the archaeological discoveries that uh, corroborate the and confirm uh, what the Old Testament had to say about history and times and kings and things that happened. And it was amazing. And uh, luckily for you, I, I didn't have the time to go look these up and I, I can't share them with you now, but if, you, if you're interested, come talk to me. I'd love to chat about it. But... There's so much uh, that confirms what the Bible has to say. There's a lot that's, uh, that's missing, that, that there isn't any uh, corroboration or, or confirmation, or they haven't, ju- they haven't found it yet. But there's nothing that denies the historical integrity of the Bible. And yet the world rejects it. The world's turned away from God. It's turned away from God. And, and it's, it's funny watching our culture and, um, well, it's not funny. Our culture complains uh, about God, rejects him, doesn't want him anything to do with God, the creator of the world, and then complains when there's natural disasters and, and injustice. Like, where is God in that? And then even after that, they deny that God's going to do anything about it. But we know that's not true. God's word promises us, tells us of the day of the Lord, that the time when Jesus will come to judge the world, that all of us, all humanity, will be, will be held accountable for what we do. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 2, verse 6, um, uh, Paul says, God will repay each person according to what they've done. To those uh, who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But those who are self-seeking and reject the truth and follow evil, there'll be wrath and anger. God is coming back. Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back to judge the world. And this is something like that, well, certainly the world doesn't like talking about, something that Christians don't like talking about, but it's a reality that Jesus is returning. And he's He's returning to judge, and, and that's a scary and, and a scary thought, but it's it's a purifying fire. And that will that will tear away all the evil and corruptness and 
and everything wrong with the world. And what is left is God's people restored to him with a place in his kingdom forever. So the first reason they, that people reject the idea that Jesus is coming back is because they reject the word of God. The other reason is they assume that God's not doing anything, that he's lazy, that he's forgotten us, that he's absent uh, from our world. And this is what we see in 2 Peter 3, 8 to 10. And I'll read these as well. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So Peter responds to that other objection. These scoffers who come scoffing, they say that God is dead, that he's absent, that he's forgotten us because he hasn't done anything for so long. But God is not slow. God is not forgetful. He's not absent. He's doing things in his timing because he's not bound by our time restrictions. Right? Peter said a thousand years is like a day to him and a day is like a thousand years. You know, God is present and active in every single millisecond of every day. He's active and present and involved. And he's also uh, not bound by time so that a thousand years could pass and to him it's like a day. So the 2,000 years that we've, we've spent waiting for Jesus' return has just been like a weekend to him. In the sense of being two days. Not, not weekend off work. Because exactly opposite of what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so why is God delaying? Why, why has he waited so long? Even though, even though it, you know, it's been 2,000 years, it's not because he's lazy. It's not because he can't be bothered. It's not because he's forgotten us. It's not because God is absent. It's because God is patient. He's patient with the world. You know, looking at the world around us, it's easy to think, and I, and I often do ask God, why aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you doing anything about uh, the, you know, the coronavirus and all the... the um, the sickness and the death that that's bringing? Why aren't you doing anything about the racial injustice, the poverty around the world, how the poor are getting poorer and the rich are getting richer and the injustice of it all? Why isn't God doing anything about it? Why isn't God doing anything about the hurt that people cause intentionally or unintentionally and, and um, the, the evil desires that are driving people and, and to do horrible things? Why isn't God doing anything? God will do something. His word promises that he will come and do something about it. But he's patient. And he's waiting because he wants everyone to be saved. He wants to give the world the opportunity to repent, to turn back to him. 
And so every morning, every sunrise is a glimpse for us into the very heart of God. Because it shows, how, shows us how much He loves us. That for another day, He's giving us the opportunity to turn back to Him. He's given the world an opportunity to return to the God who created them. Every morning, every sunrise shows us the love of God because it's another day He's patient and providing an opportunity for people to turn back to Him and be saved. God is not slow. He's not lazy. He is patient. And when He does come, no one will see it coming. From verse 10, he said, this is NIV, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. No one expects a thief to come or you know, schedules with the thief. Oh, can you come at six you know, when I'm out? <laughs> he comes unexpected, a surprise, quickly. And at that time, the heavens will disappear, the elements will be destroyed by fire, the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. He's, Peter's using very um, provocative imagery to describe what the end will be like. There'll be judgment. What is, what is wrong with the world will be, will be cast aside, will be cut off, and everything will be exposed. The hearts and minds of all people will be exposed, will be shown for who we truly are. And for those who turn away from God will be cut off from God. And those who trust in Jesus will be shown to be the very children of God. His children. His beloved children. And he has a place for them in his eternal kingdom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so, what do we do this? Why, why should we remember? What, what what will change if we remember these things? And for this, I want to read 2 Peter 11 to 13. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. As we remember the reality that God is coming to, again to judge the world, it gives us an eternal perspective that what, what, where our home is and what really matters is not what this world has to offer, but the place we have in God's eternal kingdom, where righteousness dwells, where those who are right with God and everything that is true and good and lovely will be. And so this, this flips our world view. And I want to um, take a side to talk about what I think is, is a, a big problem with our culture at the moment. And you've probably, perhaps you've come across this um, it's it, a lot of people are writing about the, about it at the moment, but the 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 aspect of our culture that we are caught up in being victims, that we are a victim culture. Uh, we see it. Um, it's interesting to see this work work itself out in in movies and TV shows over the last uh, fifty to fifty years. If you 
You know, if you think about the original Superman movies uh, from the 80s and, and maybe early 90s, uh, Superman came and he was this perfect superhero. There's nothing wrong with him. He was a man of great honor and valor and, and power and strength. And, you know, he swooped in to save the day. But now, the most recent Superman movies, he's, he's, he's flawed, he's broken, he's, you know, he's mixed up, he's got mother issues, he's got all this kind of stuff. Like, he's a victim. He's an outcast. He's an alien. You, you look at the story of Batman. You know, he's a victim. The Dark Knight. We see it in our movies, but we see this uh, so much in our culture, and particularly with the, the, the social movements of our day, with Black Lives Matters and Me Too, uh, racial injustice, the coronavirus restrictions, so much of our society defines ourselves by how we're victims of our situations, of other people, of, of whatever. And so not, not all, I'm not saying that all these movements are inherently bad because of that, but some, of, some part of, of every movement, really, people use this victimhood to justify rioting or looting or um, justify responding aggressively and harshly and, and you know, res- responding to the oppression they felt with oppressing others. And uh, you know, they ju- use it to justify bad behavior There's a large part of these movements that are capitalizing on their victimhood because they define themselves based on how they're victims. And they dwell in that. You know, people, people say things like, I am this way because of my situation. You know, I act this way because of the, you know, the personality I have. The, you know, don't judge me because of, you know, this is what's happened to me. We define ourselves on our victimhood. But Christians who remember the imminent return of Jesus, we don't de- define ourselves on our victimhood. We define ourselves on Jesus' victory, his finished work. We remember who we are, that we're cleansed, we're forgiven, we're made new. Uh, but also we remember... Even more importantly, that Jesus is king. He's king of the world and he's coming back. And even though we, whatever situation we might be facing now, we know that God will come again and make all things right. That we're not victims, we are victors in Christ. So Christians don't fall back, or certainly shouldn't. We don't make excuses. We don't uh, you know, fight and knuckle down and fight for our own rights as victims, but we fight for the rights of others. You know, Christians shouldn't be rioting and looting, should be protesting peacefully and, uh, you know, shouldn't be um, speaking out, you know, in order for their voice to be heard as a means of its, its own, but actually fighting for real social change. You look at the nature of, of, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, there's definitely massive issues that need to be addressed, but they're not addressed by rioting. You look at the Me Too movement, there's definitely issues that need to be addressed. Systemic sexism in, you know, across all organizations and places and time. But why is no one addressing the sexualization of media or the porn industry or, or you know, the real issues underlying these movements? 
complaining about how coronavirus has destroyed our way of life. What good does that do? But as Christians, knowing our vic- we're, we're not victims, we're victors, should lift our eyes to be compassionate for the needs of others around us. Because what we see around us, the situation we're in, is not all that is. We need to remember, Jesus is the king, and Jesus is coming back. And this is a massive change of perspective. Uh, it has a massive influence on our worldview and how we approach and engage with the world and, and our outlook. And, uh, and to finish off, I want to share how does this work out? How does this work out in what we do and how we live? And, that's, and Peter covers this in this last uh, little um, section of his letter. So verse 14. Uh, to the end of 18. Therefore, beloved brothers and sisters, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them, Of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do their own the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To to him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So four things, four ways that remembering uh, influences how we live. The first one is to be diligent. To be diligent. Now, this is a a throwback to the first uh, sermon in this series, uh, that we be diligent and work hard at confirming our calling. And it's not, you know, living up to this certain standard, but actually realizing that it's God himself has called him, called us to, to himself. And so we work that out. We work hard living that out, to live a life that reflects the God who saved us by adding uh, to our faith knowledge, to our knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness affection, to affection love. And so uh, Peter says in verse 14, make every effort, be diligent to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. Be diligent to grow, to reflect the God who's coming back. And so where, where do you need to grow? What area of your life do you need to grow in? What change do you need to make? What do you need to do this week? Will you do it? One really good thing uh, to do in this space is to find a mentor, someone uh, who's a little bit older who can ask these kind of questions and challenge you and help you grow, to help you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, uh, but also grow to, to reflect Jesus more, to uh, walk with you, pointing you, chasing after Jesus. A mentor is a great 
uh, way to do that. And if you don't have one yet, uh, please come speak to me or speak to Ivy. We'd love to set you up with someone. It's an incredibly valuable uh, practice uh, to meet with a mentor, to be guided in that way, to together being diligent, uh, to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. The second thing is to be hopeful. Uh, remembering, um, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Right? It's being hopeful that, um, you know, it's not like every day that we face is just another day of oppression, another challenging day, but actually this is another day Another day of opportunity where I could share my faith with my friends. Another day I could spend praying uh, for those in my family, in my friendship groups, in my school, in my, on my street who don't know Jesus. It's another day, another opportunity for them to come to know the Creator who loves them. And so we, we, we approach our days uh, not with despair but with hope. This is, a, this is the day of salvation. This is the day that God could work and do something powerful in the life, in my life, in the lives of those around me. So we are hopeful. The third thing, we are steadfast. We're stable. And this is a throwback to talk number two, uh, where Peter said, beware of false teachers. And here he says it again. Like he acknowledges that a lot of scripture is tough to understand. Like he he mentions Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. He says, well, Paul has to write. Uh, sorry, yeah, his letters contain things that are hard to understand. Like, it's tough. But people take that, and they take the other scriptures, they distort them and warp them to make their own point, to serve their own desires. And Peter says, be careful not to be caught up in that. Don't be caught up in the, the ideas or with people or leaders or influencers who pull you away from the truth that Jesus is king and he's coming back. That what we do uh, in this world does matter. And so we need to be careful. We need to be aware of the false teachers. We need to be careful of the songs we sing, the songs we listen to. We need to be careful of the podcasts we listen to, the leaders we follow. You know, what we look at on Facebook and Instagram. I don't know if anyone's seen the um, documentary Social Dilemma on Netflix. Uh, I, I haven't, um, so I'm not speaking with great authority at this point. Uh, but it is a well-known fact that Google and, and these kind of things are echo chambers, that they, they push you to uh, your own beliefs. And, and um, so if you were to search for something, they'd suggest what you search for and influence what you think. And I think one, one big reason that would be such a spread of beliefs and so much, uh, so much um, confusion in the church in terms of what's true and what's not true is because we're so caught up uh, by our phones and what's going on Facebook or, or what Google and these, these artificial intelligence are feeding us rather than uh, seeking truth in God's word with God's people. And so, so on this point, and this is something I, I, I well, I went a, a bit long in my last talk, so uh, I, it was probably lucky I didn't uh, share this because it would have gone way too long. Sorry about that, by the way. I'm going to finish soon. This won't be as long. Um, but one thing that I thought, like, you know, as, as a church, you know, it's all great speaking against false teaching and, and all these 
you know, different organizations or people or leaders who, who say things that, you know, that's not good theology. That's not what God really said, or that's not what the Bible explains, or this isn't how we should be thinking about the world. It's all good, um, you know, denying and judging what other people say. But I, I've been convicted um, as a church leader. What are we speaking into that space? How are we as a church teaching all of you what's good theology? What the Bible does say, uh, building a framework to be able to identify good teaching, false teaching, to, to be able to navigate through this challenging world we live in. And so one thing I've been uh, thinking about a lot and talking to a few people is uh, I, want to, I want as a church to speak into that space and to teach you, teach you all. Uh, so one thing, a project, and by saying this, I've become accountable to it, is uh, we're going to be working on a podcast. Of, of working these, these big questions in conversation with people to share. And it, you know, it's a podcast, it's easy, it's accessible. It's not like going and um, running a course, although we will also be doing that at different points, and that also is a really good thing to do. Uh, but actually speaking into that space, and not just because the way to um, protect ourselves from false teaching is to ground ourselves in true teaching, in, in the truth. And so we want to. That's what we want to do as a church. That's what we're going to do. So uh, if you're interested in being involved, come talk to me. Uh, and if you're, if you're still waiting for it to happen, come talk to me. Because uh, I want to keep moving on that. Anyway, the final thing, the other great thing to do, uh, and the fourth thing, is to be gospel-focused. To be gospel-focused. And this is actually the, um, the verse of the day for the 40 days of prayer and fasting. I don't think, I'm not sure if you noticed that, uh, but it was... Um, 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Our 40 days of prayer and fasting, and hopefully uh, you've been keeping up with that and, and you know, finding it in your emails or uh, in the calendar at the back or on social media and praying along with us. But what a great prayer to pray that we would grow in the knowledge uh, in, in the grace of God and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. All Christians are lifelong learners. All Christians are lifelong learners. We need to be constantly growing and experiencing and realizing the grace of Jesus more and more every day. And so what are we doing to feed ourselves? How are we reminding ourselves the truth of the gospel? That we are saved by God's grace And one thing, um, I was really uh, sad that I wasn't able to be part of uh, the testimonies last week. And I don't know, I don't even know who these uh, cardboard testimonies are. But I was um, super impressed, like almost to tears, of, of what I read here. I, I, again, I don't know who these are. Um, but this is just four stories of the gospel, of, of Grace working in people's lives. They're guilty, lost, ashamed, broken, not worthy, stained. But because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, they are held, healed, blessed, loved. They're a child of God. They're wanted. They're seen for who they are. They're forgiven. The chains are God. They're saved by grace. Before Jesus. They're a wreck and fearful and full of sadness. 
But because of the grace of Jesus, they're more peaceful. They feel more loved. They're more connected. They're free. Insecurity engulfed me. But God called me his precious and beautiful child. Constantly trying to take control and sort out all my problems. But none of my problems are too much for God. He is bigger than it all. Thank you to whoever brought those powerful, powerful stories of the gospel. And that's what we've got to keep doing, is reminding and growing and telling each other the, how God is working in our lives so that we grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Going back to where we began uh, with Simba, overcoming Scar and the challenges of his home, uh, the key for him was to remember who he was and where he came from. The key for us as Christians living in our world today with COVID, with the, with this, in this post-Christian world, with the growing hostility we're facing, with the uh, continuing injustice that we face in the world, the key is to remember who Jesus is, that he is the king and he's coming back to judge, to make all things right and to usher his people into his eternal kingdom. Absolutely. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who gave his life so that even though we turned away from you, we could be forgiven, we could be cleansed, we could be renewed. And God, we praise and thank you that he didn't stop there. He rose from the dead. He, he ascended into heaven. And we praise you that he is going to come back to right every wrong, uh, to bring justice to our world and to usher his people into his kingdom. And God, we look forward to the day where we will be with Christ in person, physically, and uh, that we, will, we ourselves will be transformed into these eternal resurrected bodies and those who have passed away will be risen from the dead and we'll be with you forever. And God, we, we hasten that day. Come, Lord Jesus. But we we'll also praise you and thank you that every day is another day of salvation, another day um, in which you're giving an opportunity for your world to return, repent and return to you. And God, so while we are in this world, we pray you would use us. You would help us to be diligent in, in growing uh, to be more like Christ. That you'd help us to be hopeful in sharing who you are with those around us. That you'd protect us and keep us steadfast in your truth. And that you'd be continually growing us in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. All for your glory. Until you return and we can spend eternity worshipping you. We thank you, Jesus. We pray you come back. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.